Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. Uh, I really enjoyed this Sunday school hour. There's a there's kind of a, a a funny thing that happens, I think, probably to a lot of preachers while they're waiting for um, the time for the sermon to come around. And that is when you're sitting through the the opening and through the Sunday school. And, and this probably happens to you all. Even this doesn't just happen to preachers, but you you see these different passages that are used and the comments that are made on them, and you see how it fits, fits with what you're going to share. And it, it's just kind of gives me the shivers sometimes because it fits so well. And I, I think it's a testimony to uh, the Holy Spirit and also just to the cohesiveness of Scripture. And, and there's, there's one author of all Scripture, and it fits together so, so nicely. So several weeks ago, we studied... Um, effective seekers and some of the attributes of effective seekers. And if you don't mind, I'll, I'll repeat those here. So that effective seekers are inquiring of God. They rely on God. They're courageous for God. They worship God. They're obedient to God. They're concerned about others. And they're wholehearted in their desire for God. This morning, we're going to look at a, a very different group of people. Uh, they may have been seekers at one point, but um, something has, has gone wrong, and they are, their walk has kind of gone awry. They've started to entertain doubts about God's faithfulness. They wonder if God is worth serving. They're not seekers anymore. They are cynics. And today I want to look at five attributes of spiritual cynics. And my goal for this message is, is that we be equipped to recognize these traits and be on guard against them and, and to make sure that we don't even take the first step toward spiritual cynicism. Uh, you know, the reality is when we became Christians, probably all of us started off at, at full throttle with a lot of of energy and, and devotion, but we do face disappointments in our Christian walk, um, personal failures, or maybe God isn't doing what we think he should do. We face disappointments, and we need to be careful that in facing those, we don't take a step toward cynicism or back off in our spiritual zeal. I'm going to adjust this mic up a little bit. Do you think that'd be a good idea, Eldon? How about that? The, the scripture we're going to study this morning is, is the book of Malachi, parts of the book of Malachi. So you can start turning there. Last book in the New Testament. Malachi was probably a, a contemporary of Nehemiah, who you heard about last week. Uh, the setting of the book of Malachi is basically this. It's, it's been a hundred years since the first Jews came back from exile. The temple has been rebuilt Nehemiah has seen to it that the walls have been built, and Nehemiah has gone back to Persia. He will return about 10 years later, and we're not sure if Malachi's, did I say Malachi went to Persia? I mean, Nehemiah went to Persia. We're not sure if Malachi's prophecy came during Nehemiah's absence or, or sometime after Nehemiah came back. It could have been 10 or 15 years afterward. But somewhere in this time frame, the people living in Judah became disenchanted 
They, they lapsed. They kind of lost their momentum and, and started wondering why God wasn't doing things for them that they expected, that they wanted him to do. They started cutting corners. The priests were offering bad offerings. Of course, the people were bringing bad offerings. Uh, people are intermarrying again. This was a problem about 25 years earlier. Uh, they're divorcing their first wives. So it's, it's a real lapse, and I think Malachi is a, is a perfect book for studying the subject of cynicism. This will not be a, a complete coverage of the book of Malachi. It's, we're going to be reading just snatches here and there and, and focusing on this single thread that kind of runs through the book, which is these people's attitude toward God and what God has to say back to them. So what we're going to do is we'll first look at five marks of spiritual cynics, and then we'll look at some of the fruits of cynicism, and then, and then God's challenge in return. Uh, we don't have time to read the entire book of Malachi. I wish we did, but we don't. And so the, the passages that I'm reading come from here and there. And instead of reading a bunch of Scripture to start with, we will um, kind of read Scripture as we go. Uh, so let's start looking for five marks of spiritual cynics in the book of Malachi, starting at the very beginning of the book. It won't take us long to find the first one. Chapter 1, verse 1. I'm reading from the ESV. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. Let's pause there. How have you loved us? Now that's, that's quite a question coming from a group of people who have been in captivity, brought back from captivity to their home country. Their, their temple has been rebuilt. The walls have been rebuilt. And it, all of this in spite of the enemies around them. That's, that's quite a question. How have you loved us? Uh, it should be fairly obvious that he's been looking out for them. The nation of Esau, on the other hand, has not gotten this kind of treatment. Um... And they will not get this kind of treatment from God. And I believe the meaning of the word hate there when it talks about hating Esau is in terms of being less favored or, or less preferred. Not so much that God literally hated Esau or the nation of, of Edom. But God chose Israel to be his special people. And there was plenty of evidence that they were special in his eyes. And yet, here they are asking the question, how have you loved us? And we're going to see that kind of question is a pattern throughout this book. Sometimes we wonder if God loves us. But if we, if we really entertain that question, if we really dwell on that question, um, pretty soon we're kind of putting ourselves in the same shoes as these people uh, back in the time of Malachi. Because we also are God's chosen people. We are descendants of Abraham spiritually. And there's plenty of evidence that uh, God treats his people specially and loves them. The first mark of a spiritual cynic is that they question if God really loves them. 
how, how has he loved us? And, and it's more than just a passing thought. It's something they, that has taken root to the point that it is producing um, fruit in their lives. It's affecting their behavior, as we will soon see. Now let's keep on reading here in chapter 1, and we're going to drop down to verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. The second mark of a spiritual cynic is brought to us by the priests who have become very casual about what they put on God's altar. And God is not getting the quality of offerings that he deserves, not by a long shot. And God says, your governor would not put up with this. You know, if, if President Donald Trump came to your house, you would not serve him a PBJ, most likely. You would, uh, if you're lucky, you would have ribeye steaks in the freezer or something. You, you'd be getting out whatever it is that is uh, the best food that you can serve. But these priests here are serving God's spiritual bologna sandwiches. They're, they're breaking the law. Did they just not know better? Was this like a minor part of the law that they just weren't aware of? Uh, here's what I found. Leviticus 22 says this. When anyone of the house of Israel or of the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering for any of their vows or free will offerings that they offer to the Lord, if it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish of the bulls or the sheep or the goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering from the herd or from the flock, to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord, or give them to the Lord as a food offering on the altar. Now, I'm not an Old Testament scholar, but I get the idea that offering a, a blind, lame, half-dead sheep is probably not going to work. Um, this is not really complicated scripture here. It's a fairly simple command. But somehow, like many other commands that we have in the Bible, but somehow the priest decided, this is no big deal. It's not that big of a deal, apparently, to them. That, you know, no need to get legalistic about this. But turns out it was a big deal. It was a pretty big deal to God, wasn't it? The second mark of, of a spiritual cynic is a carelessness toward obedience. It's just not, not as big of a deal. It, Maybe it's not, it's not totally absent, but it becomes very hit or miss. And I think of how different these folks are from David, who we referred to last week as a seeker or a couple weeks ago. 
who said, With my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. We're going to see now that the priests aren't the only ones wandering from God's commandments. The second mark of a spiritual cynic is careless obedience. Third mark, let's keep on with verse 9 now in chapter 1 still. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I will not accept an offering from your hand. From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted. And its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as an offering? Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? The third mark of of cynicism comes in the verse that I just read which says, what a weariness, what a weariness this is. That's, that's something that a, that a spiritual cynic often says when they are serving God or trying to. And I, and I have to admit that this is something I have to guard against, and maybe many of us do. Um, I've said it before, man, what a, what a pain. I mean, I really wish I didn't have to do that. I wish I didn't have to preach this Sunday. And, and that kind of thing. And that's something we need to watch out for. Um, usually, it means that I've forgotten who I'm serving. But spiritual cynics find it wearisome to serve God. It's a drag. It doesn't bring them any joy. They, they still go through the motions. The priests are still offering sacrifices. People are still bringing offerings, pretty bad offerings, and, and much to God's annoyance. He actually wishes they would just stop because it's, it's a waste. They, the, these people are not like seekers who go above and beyond to uh, serve God and, and worship Him. Cynics find service tough. They don't see its value. The third mark of a spiritual cynic is that they find service burdensome. The fourth mark... We need to move to chapter 2 now. So we turn over to chapter 2. Chapter 2 starts with God telling the priest that he's going to judge them if they don't listen and change their ways. And the description of that judgment is fairly colorful. I'll let you read that. But uh, God also tells the priest that they have been causing others to stumble. And then the subject moves away from the priest and to the people in general who are behaving as bad or worse than the priests by divorcing their wives and marrying foreign women. And God rebukes them sharply for this behavior. And many of your translations will say in, in um, verse 16, I hate divorce. And then the next verse, verse 17, is the one I want to read. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied Him? By saying... Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and He delights in them. 
or by asking, where is the God of justice? A spiritual cynic uh, sees evil people prospering and he concludes that God's justice is out of office. They repeat this idea in Malachi uh, 3, verse 15, where they say, evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Does God allow evil to prosper? Horrors. Yes, He does. He even sends rain on the unjust. Now, in the long term, they're going to be chaff that we looked at uh, earlier this morning. But the fact that they prosper or look like they're prospering now doesn't make God unjust. But to a spiritual cynic, it's evidence that God isn't so just after all. That's the fourth mark of a spiritual cynic. They wonder if God is unjust. Fifth mark. Now this comes from chapter 3. So we're really jumping around here. If you turn to chapter 3, the first half of chapter 3 talks about upcoming purification and judgment. There are many uh, famous lines in the book of Malachi. You know, if you would rate the books of the Bible based on how many quotable verses there are in, in, in such a small amount of space, I think Malachi would be close to the top. But the second half here of, of chapter 3 turns to a second problem of the people, which is they've been slacking when it comes to tithes. And we'll look at this more in detail later. But for now, if you look at verses 13 through 15, in chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, your words have been hard against me, or arrogant, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? Spiritual cynics wonder if this is really worth it. Is it really worth keeping God's charge, His commandments? Is it really worth seeking God with fasting and sackcloth? Is it worth it? Because they're not getting the rewards they think they deserve. And, and I think that is one of their traits, that instead of being enthusiastic about service and bringing glory to God, they're, they're pretty much focused on the rewards. Uh, in reality, a spiritual cynic is, is blessed beyond what he deserves already and what he realizes, but he is missing out on rewards. We'll talk about this more later. Um, the fact that they are missing out on God's blessing or that God isn't doing everything that they want Him to do makes them decide that God is not really holding up His end of the deal. And so the fifth mark of a spiritual cynic is they don't think they're rewarded enough. So let me recap these traits. Spiritual cynics question if God loves them. Their obedience is spotty. They're careless about obedience. They find service burdensome, wearisome. They wonder if God is unjust and they don't think they're rewarded enough. Now let's look at some of the fruits. Some of the fruits of this kind of cynicism. To start with, God is dishonored. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? 
Um, those who have started to question God have quit worshiping Him and bringing Him honor. A second fruit is that their service becomes useless. They go through the motions, but it's wasted motion. Really, it is. Uh, God told them, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. That's what He told the priests. Just, just shut the doors. Uh, in chapter 2, He says, You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because He no longer regards the offerings or accepts it with favor from your hand. Offerings were being made. They were a waste. You know, you've, you've heard probably horror stories of dairy farmers who spend two or three hours getting all the cows milked only to discover that the pipe to the milk tank was not connected and all the milk went down the drain. Uh, the service of spiritual cynics is, is kind of like that. It's, they go through the motion, but because their hearts aren't right, it's, it's of no benefit for them. You know, the cows may have benefited from be, being milked. I'm sure they did, but the farmer didn't. Their service becomes useless. Uh, thirdly, people are turned away. Now, this is an especially good thing for, for parents and teachers and leaders to remember. This is what something, we didn't read this verse, but this is in Malachi 2, um, where God is, is scolding the priest, and he says, You have turned aside from the way you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. So a cynic is not, does not draw people toward God. He, he draws people away from God. He's headed in the wrong direction himself. So if you, if you care about your children, don't be a cynic. Uh, blessings are lost in chapter 2 where God is warning the priests. Um, he says, you are... I'm sorry, in chapter 3, God tells the people, you are cursed with a curse for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. You're cursed with a curse because you're robbing me. And so because these people were robbing God, He was withholding His blessing from them. And in that way, it, it seems like this thing of, of spiritual cynicism must be kind of self-perpetuating because um, if the cynicism results in God responding by withholding His blessing, that probably caused the cynics to question even more, is this worth it? The ironic thing is that these people who were robbing God because they wanted to keep more for themselves, they were really just robbing themselves a great deal. Uh, I remember a, a scene many years ago very vaguely, and so I might be making parts of this up, but um, after church one Sunday, me and some of my friends, and I think Gabriel was one of them, thought it would be cute, a cute trick, to go downstairs to the, the door that goes uh, from, the, from the, you know, into the passageway where we go into the old learning center, from the doghouse to the old learning center, that door in between. There's a hinge up there for closing the door. We thought it'd be kind of funny put a cup of water up on that hinge and when the door opens it falls down and we thought that would be a great trick and I remember somehow in our excitement and in our distraction one of us ended up running through the door ourselves and the water fell down and uh, we triggered the trap ourselves tested it I guess and so spiritual cynics in this in the same way you know they're robbing God, but in reality, they're robbing themselves. It just comes back on themselves when they, when they um, 
when they cut corners, when they back off, they are costing themselves blessings. Another fruit is that they become, I'm not sure how to say this, I'll just say they become spiritually clueless. They lose their vision. Look at all the questions that have been posed in this book. Uh, We didn't even read the whole book. And how have we despised your name? How, How have we polluted you? You know, Lord, have we done anything? What could have we done? What that would be slightly disrespectful? Um, they ask the question, "Why does he not regard our offerings?" I mean, is there something wrong with this half-dead sheep? You know, you didn't want it. Um, how have we wearied him? You know what? What are we doing wrong here? How shall we return? What do we need to change? Is there anything, Lord, that we need to do? Show us. How have we robbed you? Uh, How have we spoken against you? Now, I don't think these people are literally asking all these questions out loud, but um, the fact that these questions are recorded here in this book tells me they didn't know the answers. They needed to hear the answers. Um, God had to tell them that they've been despising him, robbing him, speaking against them, and they need a return. And so spiritual cynics... I believe, become spiritually out of touch. They, their perspective is, is messed up. They, don't, they do wrong and they don't really think it's a big deal and they don't realize how bad off they are. Uh, a final fruit is, is just kind of an overall general statement that their standing with God is in grave danger. Um, I'll prove it with a few verses here. God tells them, I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. You won't see that on many Bible calendars. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. You have wearied the Lord with your words. And then verses about the coming judgment. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? And so cynics have put themselves in a a very dangerous place in their standing with God. That's a fruit of their spiritual cynicism. Now let's let's pause... um, Let's move on, I mean, to talking about what God's challenge is for these people. Uh, He's frustrated with them. He's not done with them. He's sent the Malachi. And and he wants them to turn around. And he tells them in chapter 3, Return to me and I will return to you. Uh, The verse that I would like to focus on here, which is what I call God's challenge for spiritual cynics, is verse 10 in chapter 3. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God has a challenge here. He says, Put me to the test. You, you guys are, are doubting my faithfulness. Put me to the test. I mean, right now, the cynics are not uh, putting God to the test. They're not experiencing God. They're not tasting God. You see this verse up here. And that's why they need to return to Him. If they, really th- if they think they're experiencing what God is like, if they think they're tasting God, then... No wonder they're disappointed because what they're experiencing is is a shallowness and a lack of blessing. And so his challenge is, well, take me at my word. Stop robbing me. 
bring in the full tithe, everything you owe me, and then I will open the windows of heaven. Well, how do we apply what we've seen in Malachi this this morning? Um, I think mainly it's a warning. It's, It's identifying dangerous territory that we want to steer clear of. If you find yourself questioning God's love, His justice, how He rewards His followers, or if you find yourself getting careless about obeying Him, those could be an indicator that you've taken a step toward the dangerous territory of spiritual cynicism. And if those markers are there, of course, we need to repent and turn away from that kind of behavior. And a major part of that turning, I think, uh, will be examining our lives and looking for areas in which we've been robbing God. Is there an area of sin in my life? Is there an area in which I've have not been serving Him well at all. I mean, you can never serve God well enough, really, but is there an area in which I am, there's a significant lapse? Um, How have I been robbing God? And then put Him to the test. Um, Bring in the full tithe. And that means, that means um, going back to full throttle, if you will. And I believe what we experience then is is not a material shower of blessings, but a spiritual river of life, tree planted by the river, um, any of those metaphors, that kind of fullness that will take care of our cynicism. And then we will not be cynical. We will be effective seekers and, and back on the path that we need to be. God bless you.